This podcast is brought to you by Renewal by Anderson of Central Pennsylvania, which is currently offering customers a door and window super deal. You can now save $500 on every window and 1000 on every door from May 1st through May 31st. Super indeed. Visit RenewalByAnderson.com to learn more about this deal before it ends. Bones found in a basement. A city set on fire with accusations and conspiracy. A girl in a grave whose name, along with her killers, remains lost to time. And one armchair detective's quest to finally give it back to her. I'm Claudia DeMuro. Join me and PenLive investigative reporter John Lucy as he tells us all about the long-forgotten story of a young girl murdered in Pennsylvania over 100 years ago. This is Today in PA, the murder house of Harrisburg. So the idea of the armchair detective has been a worldwide phenomena for roughly a decade already. Why is it, do you think, that ordinary citizens get so involved with cold cases from murder house to what happened with the Golden State Killer? I just think, you know, it's, it's just an, another element of interact. We're all interactive. We all want to interact. We all want to sort of, it used to be everything went one way. You know, the police investigated, they told us what happened, but now with the tools out there and with the window it provides into these detailed maps as, you know, in terms of with that killer, all the video that's out there now to come through to find the van. And in this case, I mean, this woman, Carrie Donaldson, was already very inquisitive when it came to her ancestry and the past. Something about the past with her is very key and elemental. And and uh, she, she would do all these ancestry investigations, not only for her family, but for lots of other friends. One piece of information would all, always lead to something else and, and a further sort of bigger mosaic. And in this case, it was a wrong turn on her ancestry quest she was investigating a branch of her family tree from Philly back in the late 1800s, and the surname Geyer brought up this Bessie Geyer, who was believed at one time to be the victim of this murder house cold case of the girl's skeleton found in the basement of an Allison Hill row home by plumbers who were trying to fix a sewer leak. And other than that, this case may not have ever been discovered, you know, so it was quite by accident, and then she became obsessed thinking about this girl and her family and never having any any solace of having given her name back because she was buried as a Jane Doe and she remained a Jane Doe, and her killer was never found despite a pretty dogged investigation headed up by the Dolphin County DA. So it wasn't like this got swept under the rug, and that was the one kind of sad note that for me at least, that when this happened in 1915, one murder on Allison Hill had the whole city in an uproar. If you go back and read the press coverage, I mean, it was all out to try to find who did this. Now you look at the Penn Live homicide map and you see all the dots all over Allison Hill. Homicide no longer has the power to shock the city the way it did back then. You know, going off of that, given the technology and the security systems we have today, do you think it's even possible for cases to ever remain unsolvable like this? I mean, 106 years from now, will there be a murder house type situation where, you know, another podcast in the future is going to be discussing it? Or has DNA essentially put a stop to all that? 
Well, it has if you find the body. Um, obviously, you know, if, if you're good enough about disappearing a body, whether it's, you know, a mafia guy who, you know, uh, dissolves it in acid or, or you put him in, in the concrete at the base of a foundation, which they said happened to Hoffa. Yeah, that he was buried under a giant stadium, supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. So, uh, but yeah, if there's DNA, I do think it's a strong possibility that you'd, you'd get an identity and then that identity would lead to the associations and the link to the killer because that's usually how they work it. They they start with the victim and then work back through all the, the contacts and the, you know, uh, the different people involved with to see who has the motive, the means, the opportunity there. So... So you're probably right. The more there's DNA, the more, and the more there's video everywhere. That's the other thing. I mean, that, that definitely makes it harder to get away with anything. You know, that's something that my dad always says because he was a homicide detective for the NYPD back in the 80s and the 90s. So basically when the city was essentially the Wild West and, you know, the stuff that guys got away with back then, they would never be able to get away with now because of just all the security cameras that are around and just at-home security systems that people are buying up today. Yeah, and, and really the phone, I mean, you start with the phone now, you know, because usually people never let go of their phone, so unless the killer takes the phone, that's that's uh, uh, step one. Well, that's why it's almost just so fortuitous that they were able to find this body, you know, just the, the accident of these plumbers going in to do some maintenance work and they just stumbled upon this, this decaying corpse, these bones, this hair stuck in this hole that was hidden. And then after the sensationalism that this story brought, that this woman, over a century later, happened to make a mistake when trying to look for an ancestor, and all of a sudden, this case just rose from the grave, so to speak. You know, almost as if fate wanted us to find the story again. Do you ever think about it that way? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's something sort of in the universe sometimes that's that's uh, nudging us toward, you know karma you know in this case and certainly that was it and and you know it's almost like this girl was reaching out in other ways because uh tenants of the house reported this strong stench in the basement and it even drove one of the families out so there were there were other sort of signs that something was amiss down there but certainly when they had that sewer leak and the plumbers went down there with their axes and shovels that's that was the the time when when this all changed, the secret would not stay buried. What was it about this case, do you think, that made it so sensational back then? Was it just that Allison Hill was an up-and-coming neighborhood, or...? Yes, and, you know, and, and, and I, I do think it was, like, today, with all of the violence and gun violence, it, it just seems so much more commonplace that this was, it was an up-and-coming neighborhood. Literally, this Allison Hill, which now you think of being very inner-city, was like urban sprawl that was still urban. I mean, this was farmland maybe 10 years before, and now it was this sort of uh, up-and-coming neighborhood of, of townhouses and row houses and that type of thing. But people thought they were kind of in the suburbs away from, you know, the city. when when you know, And it's on this commanding hill with some really nice views up there, too. So it was just this, you know, the newest, trendiest place to be, and then, you know, you find this girl skeleton in the middle of it, of all these supposed people who are supposed to be good middle class people with trades and, you know, plumbers and 
carpenters and all these people, you know, uh, that are living close together. And now everybody's looking at each other um, in a scan says, okay, who did this? So, yeah, it, it caused quite a stir for sure. But, you know, what is it about murder mysteries that get people going so much? Is it just that they're drawn to the more macabre side of life, you know, as kind of entertainment? Or is it just the fact that it's a puzzle to solve? I mean, what do you think? It's only certain types of cases that really inspire the, you know, this passion. I do think part of it is a puzzle. I think part of it is empathy. Because clearly, Carrie had a lot of empathy for the girl being sort of left in the basement and then left in Potter's Field and never got her name back and never got justice and the family, you know, of, of okay. Because they looked at all the missing persons cases from around the area, but back then there were no databases, so she could have come from Philly or even, you know, a couple of counties away and may have never, that may, information may have never reached Harrisburg. So, you know, and the one thing that, that sort of drove her is somebody missed her. Some family missed her. And she thinks that maybe that story of this aunt who left and never was seen again has been handed down in, in family. So she's hoping with the story, she may get a lead on identifying the girl. And she do, does have two prime persons of interest who she does believe could be the girl because everything fits and all of the other missing person cases that were reported in and around Harrisburg, she was able to trace the outcome of those except for these two. So that's another way she's hoping that there might be some answers that are still out there. See, I think it's just so impressive that she was able to find so much information from that era because you figure back then information was so scarf. That's the perception, right? But she was able to trace it back down and narrow down the identity of this girl, possibly to two girls, just based on this paper trail that she was somehow able to find. Turn of the century, the turn of the, you know, the 1800s and night, a lot of stuff was coming in. Electricity, was, things were really modern, the combustion engine and everything. So it was really a, a fat, the, the pace of change. I mean, we think the pace of change is fast now, and it is. But that that early 1900s, the pace of change was, was, was very fast, too. A lot of things were happening. But you're right, there was, uh, and, and the newspaper coverage, there were five newspapers in Harrisburg, and they were all competitive, and they were reporting a lot of stuff. And we think of social media now. There were society pages back then, so she was able to trace the vacations of some of these, you know, sort of, you know, upwardly mobile people on Allison Hill, and they would, they would, put in the society pages who had a party and who entertained who and who went on vacation to, you know, the Jersey Shore, you know, and when. So it was basically the early 20th century version of Instagram. Yeah, you know, the, the pace of onrushing events was incredible. And, you know, and now we talk about news cycles here in, in our society where they're, they're, uh, the, the breaking news happens and then we move on within an hour, you know what I mean, unless it really grabs you. Well, you know, now that it has resurfaced and after, you know, you've researched through all these periodicals and you've seen all these old photographs, how was it going into that basement and seeing where it all happened? You know, it, it was something that we had to do. Uh, you know, it, it, it just wouldn't have been complete without there. And, and when, when Carrie was up from, uh, from Delaware that day, because uh, I had tried 
several times before to try to knock on the door and make contact with somebody, and I could never get anybody home when I went. So we, we just went that day. It was a Saturday, and it was around lunchtime, and knocked on the door, and this really nice older lady came to the door, and uh, she was probably cooking lunch because something in there smelled really good. And uh, but, but, but there was a language barrier. She, she only spoke Spanish, and she really couldn't understand what we wanted. You know, outside there's a videographer, there's a photographer, there's me, there's Carrie, there's Carrie's husband. We're all like looking. She's like wondering what's going on. You know what I mean? So it's taking it back. And then we left letters in English and Spanish. And we finally had a Spanish speaking uh, journalist at Penn Live, Evie De Jesus. And she was able to finally make contact with somebody at the house who put us in touch with the landlord who also only spoke Spanish, but she was able to sort of broker a time for us to get in there with the photographer. Unfortunately, Carrie, it was too short notice for Carrie to make it back up, but we did it on FaceTime, so she was right there with us as we were exploring the nooks and crannies. Now, unfortunately, you know, the basement, you know, the concrete had been report, obviously, and even in the old newspaper clippings, they, the landlord talked about walling off or sealing the grave they did a pretty good effective job of of, of uh capping it off so there wasn't a lot to see but the context of it you know it's it's a, it's a cramped row house basement the, the ceiling is very low and the steps you, you think you know because the killer they said had to remove the steps to bury the body and and they're not you know it's not like a big deep long descent to the cellar i mean it's it's six feet so there's not a lot of steps there so it was very doable. In other words, when this was when this was sort of a, a thinly concreted basement that you could use a pick to you know crack through and then get into the ground and open up the grave. I mean, it was very doable. But you also see why the the stench might have been uh, noticeable because the burial plot in those rear stairs is right by the basement door, so that would be wafting up if it wasn't if it wasn't sealed right. And I know they used quick lime to try to cover the decomposition, but obviously, uh, you know, those secret wanted to get out, you know what I mean? And eventually it did. Did the old woman that lives there now know about the murder or was it not until you guys showed up on her door saying that you're investigating this century old case that she realized that someone had been brutally murdered down in her basement? No one had any idea, and I talked to the next door neighbor, uh, and I was telling him about it, and he he didn't know, and he, you know everybody was kind of interested in hearing about it, but the landlord didn't know. No one knew. I mean, it was. Uh, oh, the landlord didn't know. No, absolutely not. You know, this had been, you know, this had been long forgotten. I don't know about you, but if someone told me that someone was violently killed in the house I was living in, I would get out of there. I have watched way too many scary movies in my time to just risk some sort of angry ghost bothering me at night. Yeah, you, you would you would think, you know, that would be a, a little eerie uh, epitaph to, to know that in the basement, yeah, there, were, there was something violent that happened somewhere in that house. And uh, they tried to cover it up and bury it down in the basement. And, uh, yeah, that, you know, if you believe in, like, The Shining, you know, a trace of itself uh, it stays in there somewhere. 
to read about all the traces this murder left behind, ghosts possibly included, check out John's story on the murder house of Harrisburg, published on penlive.com. You can also check out the most recent parts in the article that goes along with this podcast. And you know what? You never know. Maybe you can figure out who killed Jane Doe. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal by Anderson of Central Pennsylvania, which is currently offering customers a door and window super deal. You can now save $500 on every window and $1,000 on every door from May 1st through May 31st. Super indeed. Visit RenewalByAnderson.com to learn more about this deal before it ends.